It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown! Hell is frozen over! Of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Welcome in to Inside Black and Gold, your thrice weekly podcast to get you up to speed on the New Orleans Saints and maybe down to speed on the New Orleans Saints because they are not a very high octane group, at least not on offense at this point in the season. And for this episode, typically on Wednesdays, we go through a good chunk of the film from the past week. And for the last two weeks, honestly, the last three weeks, excluding that fourth quarter against the Falcons. It has been rough to watch, especially on offense. So that's where we're going to focus the majority of our time. I'm going to spend most of the time talking about the first half of this game because I think that is where the Saints, if they want to start winning games, they have to execute better in the first half of games, right? We saw even with the Trevor Simeon offense, when you are in a hole and you are able to go against a defense that is kind of sitting back, you can have some success. You know, there, there's a built-in cushion there and, you know, you can you can chuck the ball around, but, you know, you're playing from behind and you're going to lose most of those games, right? If you look at the splits from the first three starts from Trevor Simeon last year, which was weeks nine through 11, and the first three starts from Jameis this year, you're almost identical in terms of efficiency in the first half versus efficiency in the second half. I think in those three games last year, the Saints scored 13 points in the first half of those games. In the second half, they had somewhere around 60. This year, it's 10 points in the first half, something 40-something in the second half. The win this year came against the Falcons. The win that they should have had last year was against the Falcons, which was that crazy comeback where Cordero Patterson took it at the end. But So you're seeing a lot of the same things, and you're losing games a lot of the same ways. So let's just go through a few things, and I'm going to start with the things that you're shooting yourself in the foot, one of those being that shot block penalty on the first drive of the game. Now, I started the, the podcast after the game with this, so I wanted to clean it up before we go on to anything else. And the thing that I found that I thought was really interesting wasn't just that there was a chop block called later in this drive and that it was merited. It was a good call. The interesting part is there was a chop block two plays beforehand that didn't get called. And if you're wondering why a close chop block call ends up getting called at the end of this drive, it's because you know the refs were on alert for it after missing it the first time, right? So what you're going to be looking at is Adam Prentice comes up and picks up a block, and then Mark comes around the side and goes low. Now, you can't do that, right? You cannot engage someone high and then hit them low. And that's what happens here on this block. Let's watch Adam Prentice. He comes up. He picks up the blitzer. And at the same time, Mark Ingram goes low and hits him below the waist. That's illegal. You cannot do that. It does not get called on this play. And you can see the defender Yelling, raising his hand. Where's the flag? Throw the flag. That's a chop block, right? So at that point, the refs are on alert saying, okay, you're right. That was a chop block. We didn't call it, but now that's in their heads. So two plays later, uh, when Mark Ingram is coming up and he's going to cut the defender, what are they looking for? They're looking for a chop block. So he goes low 
and then Cesar Ruiz comes in at the last second and engages him up high. It's a questionable call, right? You see stuff like this happen a lot. It's not in the traditional sense of a chop block, right? But by rule, that's illegal. Just look at it. There's not much contact there at all. But at the end of the day, that is illegal. So that is a penalty. And that is the Saints not executing twice in a span of four plays. You got away with it once. I wouldn't be surprised. If you go back and you don't get away with it that first time, you probably get away with it this time because it's just not a call that refs are looking to make. They're looking for holding. You know, they're looking for hands to the face. This is a this is a split second where, you know, if you were blinking, you might not see it. But because they were on alert for it, because the team was not executing the way it needed to already, that's why that gets called. So I thought that was interesting. I do also think you absolve Mark on this second one because he's doing his job. He's cutting the guy. And I think there was miscommunication on the offensive line where you see Caesar turn around and, and kind of get his assignment. And then it just looked like he was out of sorts and he came in late. And so Mark Ingram cutting him is not against the rules. He can do that. But Caesar coming in and then hitting him up high, that's where it's a shot block. So that's what happened there. And it was ugly. And it's not what you want to see. It's just a bad way to start a game, right? Because you had third and two. Then you got a penalty. And you're third and seven. Then you get another penalty. And you're third and 22. And on that shot block, you picked up the first down. It did not count. Then you were out of field goal range and you punted. So... (laughs) That's just, you know, when I when I say, like, Jameis Winston was bad in this game, but the Saints, as a team, lost this game, that's what I'm talking about. There, there are so many little things that they did not do well that go beyond Jameis Winston, but Jameis is a whole other can of worms. We're going to get into that. But, you know, that, that play and that sequence really kind of, I think, encapsulates, like, all the things that went wrong. Here is just another quick example of some of these things that just did not work. And one of those things was when you set up to run, when you telegraphed that you were going to run and you just ran a heavy alignment out there, you didn't hold up. If you're not trying to catch someone off guard with a run and you're saying, no, we're going to line up man on man and we're going to block you and we're going to pick up yards anyway, that's great. That is an offense asserting itself. If you can't do that, then your only way to run the ball is to run misdirection, you know? Run to the weak side after you set up to the strong side, right? Run, run toss plays, run, run toss crack plays. And those are set up by being successful in the power run game because that's what makes you respect the strong side of the formation. In this case, it didn't matter where you were running. The blocks didn't hold up. So watch two things. Watch Dewan Johnson over here and then watch Calvin Throckmorton over here. Now, you got to give him a pass to some extent because he is the backup. He was filling in for Andres Pete. But this is the first down play on this first drive of the second half after you got down into the red zone, right? So you drove the field. You were only down, I want to say, 10 to nothing at this point, And you have a chance to get on the board one way or another, right? And you want to get in the end zone. So you want to run on first down and pick up some positive yardage so that you can open up the offense on second and third down. But instead, you end up with losses on both sides to the point that this run that's set up, right? You have a lane here. This is a lane. This is a cutback lane. You are unable to take advantage of either of those things because you lose right here and you lose right here. So Alvin Kamara now has nothing. He has nothing other than I cannot fumble this ball again. <laughs> so I'm going to hold on to it for dear life. And 
you know, it's a, it's a tackle for loss. You're looking at second and 11. And this is the type of thing that's happened all day. And, and I think the thing that stood out to me that I didn't see in real time that was definitely true on the rewatch, the offensive line held up reasonably well in pass pro. They got beat by blitz schemes. They got beat, you know, by miscommunications, right? They beat themselves with penalties. But I think their man-to-man blocking assignments, they held up reasonably well. The offensive line did. But where they did not hold up was in the run game whatsoever. And this is the fumble. This is the play where you expect Alvin Kamara to just at least have a chance, right? You have eight blockers. Your entire team is out here blocking. The only player who is not in this frame right now is Traquan Smith, who is a blocking wide receiver. He is on the field. So this is your formation, right? (laughs) You have tight ends, you have a running back, and you have a wide receiver who likes to block. You should be able to at least get to the line of scrimmage before you get touched, huh? You don't have a fullback, but you have a lot of blockers. You lose at virtually every spot here. Alvin tries to cut it back because you've got beaten to the edge. He gets taken down. So you went from having eight blockers in front of you to being surrounded by four Panthers players before you even get to the line of scrimmage. You are three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And so how, why are they able to strip the ball? Well, when, you, when your primary defender gets there and he knows that there's three others behind him that can clean it up, he's way more likely to just hold you up and try to strip the ball out. And that's what happens here, right? And it's a product of just no blocking whatsoever. There was a hold on this play too. That's the sad thing. And, uh, and that's a touchdown. And that, that play, you know, when you go back to it, that's what lost you this game, right? If, if you play this game similarly to how you played the Bucks game and you're just kind of grinding it out three to three, whatever, through the first three quarters of that game, Saints probably win it, right? This is not the Bucks defense. This is not a defense that's going to hold up in the secondary and and get after you the way the Bucs did. And this is not an offense that's going to threaten you. So if you are able to just keep things close and not give up points on defense, then you can win that game. And it's the same, it's the same principle against the Bucs, right? If they don't have that pick six, I think you have a chance to win that game. And so as we continue to go through this and I critique a lot of what Jameis was doing in this game, keep that in mind. Like this is not a team that is light years away from winning football games. There are a few plays from being three and oh, they're also a few plays from being zero and three, right? There are a long way from being an impressive offensive group. They are not that far off from winning football games because the defense is good enough that you just have to be competent on offense to win games and you have to not give up points. So like, that's why, you know, you're going to London, you're one and two. I'm not, uh, you know, there's concern, but you just have to win that game and get back on track, right? This is not the first time in the last several years that you started one and two, right? You started one and two in 2020 and the vibes, you know, people don't want to admit it, but the vibes were similar, right? The criticism at that point was Drew Brees can't throw the ball. His arm is toast. And, you know, he's holding the offense back, right? I had, there, were cl- there were calls to start Jameis Winston during that season, okay? So, like, we don't need to pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> it did. And I would say that that was a much bleaker scenario because you did think at that point that Drew Brees didn't have it left in his arm. You were going to Detroit. And if you remember that Detroit game, 
you were down several players. You didn't have either starting cornerback. You had a COVID scare the night before, and you started that game with the Lions going down the field and scoring, and then Drew Brees throwing an interception and then and being in a 14-point hole in the first quarter. They came back and won that game, right? <laughs> so that season was, I would argue, way closer to spiraling than this season is right now, and you just need to make the adjustments and play better football. Now, can you do that? That is the question. But the, 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 the concern shouldn't be whether they can. It should be whether they will. And that's why, you know, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the coaching staff than I am, you know, the quarterback. I'm going to go through one more kind of set of film here, and then I'm going to go to a break and get into the second half, which is going to be primarily Jameis. But one thing that has stood out to me over the course of the first few weeks has been you're not fooling anybody. You're not fooling anybody. When you're trying to run these kind of quick misdirections, these quick throws behind the line of scrimmage for, for catching run yards, for yak yards, you know, screen passes. I don't know if it's just great film preparation, if, you know, you're tipping your pitches in some way. But I mean, there have been a lot of plays where it seemed like the defense knew exactly what was coming. And that's what it looks like here, right? So one of the ways you beat a blitz heavy team is you, you get the ball out hot. You adjust and you set hot routes, or you get you you run plays where you get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly in a three-step drop, and you let the receivers run behind the players that are coming upfield with reckless abandon. Right? That's what you tried to do here. It was one of the few times all all game where you look at it and be like, "Yes, this was the right play call against the blitz." Um, but watch what happened. Jeremy Chin and I, I'm not sure who this pass rusher is, but they don't even rush because they know what's happening. They know that Ryan Ramchek can't get out that far without being ineligible downfield, right? If he goes and tries to block that defender, yeah, you're on the edge. You might get, you might not get called, but you're probably getting called for ineligible downfield. He can't get out to Jeremy Chin, who came from depth, to, to impact him, right? I don't know why you're keeping the running back in the block. If, there, if I had any criticism, it would be, I'd like to see Mark just get out on a route so he can chip. Um, and just just be in the be in a place where he can affect the play because you're, when you're running a three step drop, you don't really need a back to stay in to pick up the blitz because it's not going to get there in time anyway. Um, so that that would be my main critique here. But like, this is a defense that knew exactly what was coming, and so this is the first play where a ball gets batted at Jameis's face, and that's not what you want to see at all. They are both aware of the play that's coming, or at least aware of the concept that you're trying to hit them with. And and that's not ideal. And if this was the only time it happened, you'd be like, okay, fine. You know, they, they got you. They, they took their, they studied film. They took good, good notes and, uh, and they came out and did it. But later in the game, this is on a screen pass to Alvin Kamara. I want to say it's in the second quarter, but watch Brian Burns here. He's not rushing the quarterback. He knows this is screen. He stops. He says, okay, fine. I'm just going to get in your way. There's no throw here. There's no screen to be run. Because he's standing right where you need to be. And so Jameis just dumps it into the dirt. You actually got the benefit of a uh, unnecessary roughness call here because Yitor, I want to say that's Yitor Grossmatos, throws Jameis to the ground like an idiot. And you get that 15-yard penalty. The problem is the very next play was the Alvin Kamara fumble. <laughs> and so like, it's not a good sign when you can't run a screen and, and confuse people. And that's what's been happening. So I don't know if you need to run more tendency breakers if you need to adjust some of your some of your personnel or some of your alignments to not tip pitches 
But it's very clear, and this has been happening, right? This is not the first time this season we've seen a team look like they're in the huddle when they're when they're defending a play. And so you you got to get that fixed. You got to figure out what's happening. You got to figure out what's giving away your your play call, because uh, because that's not good. That's gonna yeah you know that's gonna that's gonna hurt you in games. You know you're gonna lose games because of that. Um, if you can't be subtle, if if you can't get a defense on its back on, on seals a little bit, um, and uh, and then that's just not what you want to see. But okay, that's the end of that segment. We're gonna come back and uh, hit a lot more on what we saw from Jameis Winston. Again, you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. We're going through film from the Week Three matchup with the Saints and the Panthers. Saints lost 22 to 14. It looked a lot worse than the score might sound. Stick around and try not to uh, try not to overreact to what we're about to talk about with Jameis Winston.